Welcome to Idle Chatter, brought to you by the Machinery Digest, where steel and soil meet. A weekly podcast by a New Jersey farmer to all farmers and ranchers across this great nation. And yes, there are farms in New Jersey. Regardless of the crop you grow or the livestock you raise, we all have one thing in common. Agriculture runs on passion, sweat, tears, and machinery. And that is why the Machinery Digest exists. A no-nonsense, grease-under-your-fingernails educational website. It was created to provide a transfer of knowledge so that you can maintain, service, and most importantly, understand today's complex farm equipment. My name is Ray Bohax and I farm too. It is time now to get under the sheet metal. Hello, my friends, and welcome to Idle Chatter. This is Ray Bohax, your humble host, coming to you from Hackettstown, New Jersey, and our family farm on Cat Swamp Road. We're getting a little bit of a winter mix today, or as they like to call it, rain, snow, sleet. We haven't had the rain yet, I guess that's coming, but uh, not too bad as of yet. But over here in New Jersey, they called that an emergency. And I don't know why they did that 12 hours prior to the snow coming down. But that really impacts commerce because when there's a snow emergency in New Jersey, commercial vehicles are not allowed on the road. So, hey, what can you do? I'm not the governor, right? But uh, hopefully today is finding things well for you. And uh, hopefully in a a lot of areas of the country that were in really cold weather maybe god willing that that kind of broke for you but i think that it's still pretty cold from what i uh heard out west in the um in the western corn belt then up in the great plains so i think you guys are still dealing with some real cold weather and god willing uh that'll break soon and let me see what else i wanted to talk to you about i um before we get started on today's show what i would like to do is you take a moment or two to just thank everyone for listening to my show, Idle Chatter, the podcast, and um, also for visiting the website and using that as a resource for your farm. You know, please know that I that that truly humbles me that I have uh, listeners and people visiting the website. I think at last count, thirteen or fourteen countries that I know of, not counting the United States and Canada. And that's really a humbling experience to be able to do something like this and have people from all around the world uh, reach out and listen to it. So I hope that uh, you continue to. And it is my goal to keep providing information to you, the farmer and rancher, not only in America and in Canada, but around the world, that can help you to make your business more profitable. And that is my goal. And God willing, by his grace, I could continue to uh, to please you and make it of value for you to listen. So I sincerely want to thank you. And as an aside to that also, please know that I want to help you in any way. So never hesitate to contact me at Hot, Hot Rod Farmer at farmmachinerydigest.com and open up a dialogue if you have a question or hopefully I can explain something better to you that you may not understand. But also I want you to know that my business model for this whole venture, or I should really call it an adventure, not a venture, 
because it has been an adventure, uh, is that anyone that I get associated with on the website or through the podcast, through the show, I want you to know that I fully vetted. And anybody that is that is uh, a sponsor of anything I do, and it's going to be the same way moving forward. And I'm not, I'm not saying that other people don't do that because I don't know what other people do. But I just want you to be rest assured that any organization, company, or group that you see uh, with an ad on the website, the farmmachinerydigest.com website, or that is sponsoring something on the Idle Chatter show, know that I fully, I fully vetted them, and I believe in their product, I believe in their service, and I also believe in the way they run their business and i'm not looking just to have anybody come on board i want to be uh they have to be cut from the same cloth as you and i are and know that this is not my show and that is not my website it is your show and your website and i am only the curator of it the caretaker of it the steward so just know that it is all done for you and i just want to thank you so so much for the support that you've given me so early on into this and it's uh it's growing every week and i'm excited about that and i'm looking to just make it better and better and uh hopefully bring value to you alrighty well uh today's today's show is going to be about what you, the farmer or rancher, need to understand about Tier 4 emission control systems on engines. And to, in lots of ways, that's a hot topic today, and it's been a hot topic for quite some time. And I felt that it would be prudent for me to do a show on it so that you could have a basic understanding of the Tier 4 emission systems. And uh, as we progress, probably, in theory, it was supposed to be this year to Tier 5, but it may not be for another year or so. But anyway, we need to get a foundation and understanding of this, and it's really not as awful as most people think. So hopefully, over the course of the next 45 minutes or so, I will be able to uh, enlighten you on it and about the key components in this system and what you need to know. You don't need to engineer it. You don't need to design it, but what you need to know as the person, the consumer of that tier four system. Because if you buy any type of equipment or vehicle that has tier four on it, you are a consumer, as we would say in the industry, to that technology. But before I do that, I want to come to you with full disclosure. And the full disclosure being is that over the course of this show, I am going to do my best to, I'll say, convince you that tier four emission controls are not as terrible as most people make them out to be. But in light of this full disclosure, you know, in engineering, we have an acronym and an acronym is called is KISS. And a lot of you have probably heard that K-I-S-S. And that stands for Keep It Simple Stupid. And I know I've used this before in previous segments. But as an engineer, you look to, uh, you look to not complicate things. And you want to try to have, to have the performance of whatever you're designing uh, with as minimal complexity as possible. And you know, whenever you have to add complexity to something in engineering, is that it's often frowned upon because you're, you're you're going uh, the long way to get there. 
but lots of times when it comes to certain pieces of equipment or certain designs or certain applications is that there is no way to avoid a certain level of complexity so to that cause I want to come clean as I said and I want to state that I like a KISS diesel engine keep it simple stupid pump line nozzle no emission controls no anything and there's less to go wrong uh, they're very, very reliable, and the reliability comes simply because it is not complicated. And in life, you know, just like if you if you're going to go someplace with four guys, so four guys going to go someplace, and then you know, more people, more problems, right? You want to stop here for coffee. The other guy wants to stop there. I want to have pizza for lunch. The other guy wants a steak. So there's always complications. So the more things that you have, the more people, the more complicated and the more systems that are on a piece of equipment or on an engine will bring along complication. And to many, and I am 100% in agreement with it, that the diesel engine in any type of application prior to the uh, implementing of the different tiers of emission standards and the complexity it came with was probably the high water mark for that engine. And that was probably around 2005, 2006, 2007, prior to them instituting the advanced uh, emission reduction standards. And the reason why I say that it was probably the high water mark in so many ways is that uh, the combustion chamber design advanced or the combustion design advanced on most diesel engines, the combustion chamber is really in this piston, not in the cylinder head, but it's still considered a combustion chamber. The uh, injection technology advanced, but it was still simplistic, and we just got better building engines. It's like anything, you know. People don't realize that, but, you know, with any type of industry, are we better farmers than we were 50 years ago? Of course. Are we better farmers than we were 10 years ago? Yes. Five years ago? Yes. And and the proof of the pudding is that look at the yields, how the yields go up. And even if it's not the national average yield, even though that has gone up quite a bit, I believe I heard that for 2018, it's around 170 one or 174 bushels per acre corn and about 50 bushels of soybeans and but you look at some of these high yield guys i mean they keep pushing the envelope and then eventually that actually trickles down into the national yield from different technologies that are become to market but anyway is that you know so we always have to get better so are we better at building diesel engines than we were 40 50 years ago and the answer is yes. And I know some of you are probably saying, that guy's nuts, that hot rod farmer. He's been drinking too much New Jersey water because the stuff we had years ago was better. Well, I guess maybe it depends on how you look at it. I don't think it truly was better as far as its efficiency was concerned. Uh, but as things went on, we definitely made them better. And then what happened was that we got better at it, I should say. And then... What happened was that the government came about and instituted these emission standards. And, you know, when I teach this, and usually when I teach it, it's a three-hour seminar, so I could really 
build a nice bridge and a nice segue into it and fully explain things. But on a show like this, we only have a little bit less than an hour. But that's of no detriment because you're going to get everything that you need to know about this system within the next within the next 45 minutes or so. But what I like to do is I like to make a simplistic um, analogy. And you know, years ago, we had. Uh, no running water in houses. Matter of fact, when my parents, my family, I should say, not my parents, they were part of it, but uh, when my grandparents and my parents bought our farm back in 1954, the farmhouse had no running water and no bathroom facilities. It had an outhouse and had a well outside. And then, and it had no heat. It had a wood stove in it. So when my family bought it, they modernized the house and they put electricity in it. They put, uh, dug a well had a well dug in a pump and uh, put a heating system and obviously put a bathroom in it and a uh, and a septic and, and a septic tank so now we could say we have these modern conveniences but now if you come into the house and the pipe is leaking and you never had a house with running water, you could say, man, what a this is a real problem because the pipe is leaking. When we used to go outside and get the water from the well and carry it in with a bucket, we never had water leaking all over the floor. Or when we had the outhouse, we never had the toilet back up. We never had any problems like that when we had the outhouse. So what I'm establishing here is that everything in life is a double-sided sword. So we have a convenience and we and that convenience when it's working is wonderful but when it does not work our human nature being what it is we look backwards and we say hey you know we didn't have these problems before and you know another great example is Harvey Firestone because as you all know and if you didn't know you know from listening to my show is that Harvey Firestone uh, invented the pneumatic tire for farm equipment so if you had a person that had a steel wheel rim and no tire, just a steel, we'll call it a steel rim slash tire, he never got a flat tire. So now he buys, you know, it's 1936, he buys one of Harvey's pneumatic tires. And yes, he could go on the road safely with it and not tear the road up. He could go faster in the field. He's not chewing up his soil or compacting it to the level. But then he runs over a, a deer antler and pops the tire, and now he has a flat tire. So it's very easy for him to say, well, you know, this these pneumatic tires, as then again as an example, as an analogy, are great, but I never got a flat tire with the steel wheel, and now I have a problem. So the thing that I feel, and this is only my opinion, this is the gospel according to Ray, the hot rod farmer, all right, is that the 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 reason for tier four emissions, and we're just going to focus on that. We're not going to focus on all the tiers up to them because they were just a building block approach, a stepping stone to get to the final uh, result, which was tier four emission reduction. Uh, realistically there's no tangible value for the user of that equipment uh, you could say that because the fuel delivery is highly managed and we'll get into that a little bit later fuel delivery is highly managed is that the engine runs quieter uh, I'm not gonna say it runs smoother it runs quieter I can maybe idle a little bit slower and has the potential of giving off better fuel economy and I know everybody's going oh that guy that they use more fuel well they use more fuel when things are not right 
but it has the potential to give off uh, to provide better fuel economy and so that's so in essence the quieter operation and the nicer drivability and some things like easier cold starts are truly the only tangible thing that the farmer gets from buying a tier 4 engine in any of his equipment so there's no real value there for them other than realizing that they're only part of a larger picture a larger picture of, of being a good steward of the earth so yes we don't get much from it as far as a tangible value on our farm but the earth with the cleaner emissions and the air that we all breathe and the water that we drink and the crops that we grow and the animals and what have you are we are being a much better steward of the environment by running a tier 4 engine than we are running an older engine that to us appeared to be better so we really need to step out of this and we have to look at it and say that the world <clears throat> the world is bigger than me the world is bigger than us and and you know once you look at it that way and as a christian i truly believe that i need to be a good steward of god's creation does it mean that i love everything about a tfr engine no but i have to look past the complexity and say that hey just like having running water in the house there may be some problems and they may cause some aggravation that carrying a bucket of water from the well did not have but the end result is that it's we this whole system this whole tier four emissions is much better for the earth that we are stewarding so we should take some some solace in that and we should also uh recognize that we are doing our part for keeping the uh for stewarding god's creation now the other thing that i want to talk before i get into the emissions standards or emissions how they work the control systems is that you know the fact of the matter is is that if you there is absolutely nothing wrong in my estimation or in anybody's estimation and if and if they say that it is wrong they're probably pompous there was nothing wrong at all with farming with older equipment and i'm and i'm going to talk about this just as far as engines are concerned i'm not talking about planter technology or cultivation technology or what have you you know there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that you have an older tractor that runs fine you have an older combine an older sprayer whatever it may be an older truck grain truck and it runs fine and it's a non-emission controlled engine there's certainly nothing wrong with that and there's nothing to be ashamed of having that i some people um you know who follow me on twitter you know what if i happen to tweet out i think that's the proper term I'm still learning this uh tweet out a picture of something uh, they'll come back and say oh i still farm that way with the older equipment and that's great that's wonderful because whatever works for you the thing is that the only caveat that i attach to that is that if you are farming for a living you need to have reliable equipment and if your older tractor your combine grain truck is reliable god bless you i'm with you 100 percent you don't need to spend a hundred ten thousand dollars for a new semi to haul grain to the grain elevator but the, then again the caveat being it has to be reliable because if it's not reliable and you can't get in the field and do what you have to do or get the grain out then that's useless to me so it's you can't be penny wise and dollar foolish so if you could keep the older equipment running and it is not impacting your farm operation because you're you're it's breaking down at the most inopportune time then if, as long as it's not doing that that's wonderful 
but as time marches on and the clock marches on what we consider older equipment today one day to the young people coming up in agriculture and maybe maybe your son or your grandson or your daughter or your granddaughter a 2019 tf4 tractor or grain truck or what have you is going to be old to them so we really need to get ahead of the curve and start to understand these systems to the level that will provide us a return on our investment and because eventually we're not going to be able to farm with that 1987 tractor or pull grain with that 1987 truck anymore and it may not happen in our lifetime and hopefully it does because that means that you're staying healthy and you're still actively farming so we have to look at it and i'm saying this to you because i want you to be open-minded because so many times when you discuss this and i've you know i gave this seminar twice at commodity classic on the main stage compliments of firestone and successful farming magazine but anyway is that your know, people close their ears and this happened in the car industry because as you all know part of me is from the car industry and this happened where you know, was they started to add uh, fuel electronic ignition and they added fuel injection at this and you know you get these all these naysayers ah that's no good i'm never gonna buy that i'm never gonna do this that's junk bah, 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 bah. they go on for 10 hours right and like i said it added complexity it was not there before but the fact of the matter is it's just like you cannot buy and use maybe you could buy one but you can't use a rotary dial telephone today that we have to em- we have to embrace what's happening and what's coming down the pike it doesn't mean that you have to love it all right but you have to embrace it and know how to work with it and that is what this whole show is about today it's going to be a simplistic approach to understanding tier four emissions now in essence there are four or actually five emissions that you really need to be concerned with or the industry is concerned with for i believe there's four let me go through them in my mind okay the first emission is hydrocarbons and hydrocarbons is unburned fuel the second emission that the that the government is worried about coming from a diesel engine this is also with a gasoline engine is carbon monoxide and that is partially burned fuel the third emission that they're concerned with is oxides of nitrogen so that's no and then lowercase x and that is a pollutant that directly impacts the ozone level above the earth and it is created through pressure heat and exposure time in the combustion chamber when the leading edge flame front temperature is above 2500 degrees and i realize that that's a lot to to to, to grasp through an audio show without having a, a powerpoint or a booklet in front of you all right and then the fourth emission that we're concerned with with diesel engines is particulate matter or p PM is abbreviated, and that is the soot that is found in the diesel exhaust. So, basically, when you see an engine blowing black smoke at diesel, so like the these tractor pull guys and uh, these you know guys with the pickup trucks and everything, and they like to roll coal. Well, that's actually it's soot. It's actually called particulate matter, and that was one of the main concerns for the emissions control 
plan of tier four being implemented. Now the government knew that you could not go from no emissions, a pump line nozzle engine, minimal to no emission controls whatsoever, and go to a, a, a large amount of emission reduction. And the biggest violator that they were concerned with is the soot, which is they call particulate matter. So in essence, that black soot is what drove the whole this whole tier four system. And in essence, what is going to happen is it's going to be a synergistic approach. And to achieve a reduction in all four of those emissions, carbon monoxide, uh, particulate matter, hydrocarbons, and oxides of nitrogen, NOx, is going to take a, a cumulative effect of having a better injection system, a better combustion chamber, having fuel that is less polluting, low sulfur fuel, and then having some sort of after treatment in the exhaust. So in essence, when you put this all together, is that that is what encompasses a tier four system. And now it's, and the federal government does not care how you get to the reduced emission standard. And I'm going to break away for a few minutes here because there's a, this begs to ask the question or answer the question that you're probably asking in your mind or if not you will be in a minute or two is that you need to understand that uh, the emission standards for all diesel engines are not the same so you could have arguably a hundred horsepower diesel engine in a pickup truck which nobody has right now we'll use that as an example well let's say a 300 horsepower engine that'd be probably something you could grasp on to better a 300 horsepower engine in a half ton three-quarter ton pickup truck you could have a 300 horsepower engine in a uh, field sprayer you could have a 300 horsepower engine in a backhoe and you could have a this real super duper for argument's sake 300 horsepower engine on a in a skid steer now it is very possible due to the use of that a piece of equipment and the way the government defines the use is the is how much horsepower it's going to make per hour in the type of application it is so if you have a guy with a backhoe and he's not really loading that that engine most of the time the emission the emissions that are going to be uh, emitted from it are going to be less because that engine is using less fuel it's not under such a load if you have a combine and the combine predominantly is used most of the time under a load its emissions output is going to be higher so what happens is that the take-home message here is that if you have as any dynamic farm would if you have a multitude of different types of equipment that all have tier that meet tier four standards let's say you're blessed and everything you got is 2019 you got everything everything in a farm shop is 2019 right so the thing is that you're going to go look at your skid steel loader and say it has a different type of it doesn't have all the emission controls that my pickup truck has and my pickup truck may have have less of or more emission controls than my combine so there is a a use standard so base so tier four is not in a you can't paint it with the same brush and go well how come this one has this and this one doesn't have it but a road vehicle 
anything that goes on the road, be it a pickup truck or a semi, not a sprayer or something that you drive on the road to get to the field, but anything that is a registered road vehicle will have the most stringent emission control standards applied to it and thus will usually have the greatest level of complexity in their system. Right, so that's that's important if you understand and as you're shopping for equipment now continuing that same theme is that depending upon how efficient in different ways that manufacturer's engine is then will also determine what emission package and we call it a package in the industry is on that engine so for instance and please forgive me if i have my data incorrect but I believe up until last year, and they may still do it, Case IH has on their farm equipment what they call an SCR-only system, supplemental catalytic reduction of, of oxides of nitrogen. And they're not using a DOC, diesel oxidation catalyst, and a DPF, diesel particulate filter. On the same token, if you look back a couple of years, Navistar, which is international trucks with their max force engines, did not use the uh, SCR system uh, like Cummins did in Caterpillar in Detroit. And they had what they used called ex extreme EGR. And that became problematic for them uh, really not not a design problem uh, in service problem but anyway it became problematic and they kind of did away with it and now they're instituting the other type of controls so when you're shopping for equipment and this is important also if you're buying something that's tier four on a auction or on a resale is that you need to be familiar with what type of emission control systems that engine needs to employ for number one its use by federal government standards and number two how the manufacturer got those reduced emissions the epa does what they call a bag test on all engines whether it's gasoline or diesel and they actually weigh the amount of emissions that come out of that tailpipe during their load cycle and that is how they determine it so if you have a for instance if brand a has a more efficient combustion chamber then they would most likely have a less co hc and possibly particulate matter or soot coming out of the exhaust so the thing is that you need to be cognizant of that now the emission control methods that were rolled in and then eventually came to culmination for the tier 4 system is a multifaceted approach and it is the introduction of low sulfur fuel and you know we all talk about low sulfur fuel but nobody tells you why we made it and the people just say emissions well that's just like saying crop protection or fertilizer right i mean there's all different types of fertilizer micronutrients macronutrients uh, n p and k so you can't just say emissions all right the purpose of low sulfur ultra low sulfur diesel fuel which was first low sulfur then ultra ultra low sulfur is a reduction in particulate matter that is soot so low sulfur diesel ultra uls the ultra low sulfur diesel will will have less soot production even in an older non-emission engine just by nature of it not having the sulfur in it and as an aside to it the removal of the sulfur 
uh, the sulfur was never the lubricant. The process to remove the sulfur from the diesel fuel is what destroyed its lubricity, and that is why you need to additize your fuel on newer or older engines with a lubricity additive. So the the sulfur was responsible for particulate matter. All right, the updated engine oils, which is like API CJ4 and above was a low ash content oil and that also created a reduction in particulate matter so now look at this logical step that were taken it wasn't as convoluted as the layperson thought is that by having the fuel burn cleaner and create less less particulate matter and having the engine oil create less particulate matter because it has less ash in it we are starting to clean up the emissions from that engine without touching anything on the engine or putting anything that is in the exhaust stream which is called an after treatment so those were the first two steps the introduction of exhaust gas recirculation EGR created a reduction in oxides of nitrogen now oxides of nitrogen there is there is a, a formula which i'm just telling you this so you don't get mired in it all right and it's called the zeldovich equation and mr zeldovich discovered the the formula or what is needed to create oxides of nitrogen production during combustion you know now keep in mind this is not just combustion in an engine but this is combustion in a power pl power plant what have you and uh, so there are three things that come into play to create oxides of nitrogen uh, coming out of the exhaust it's pressure heat and exposure time and that's the same thing for gasoline engines as it is diesel, even though this show is, is, is talking just about diesel. Now, so we have pressure. The high cylinder pressure that is created in a diesel engine is very prone to creating oxides of nitrogen because that's one step of the three steps in the formula that we need. I said the formula, I should actually say it's the recipe so we have pressure now we have heat the heat of combustion when the leading edge flame front temperature reaches 2500 degrees or beyond not to be confused with the exhaust gas temperature read with a pyrometer on the dashboard of your truck or your piece of equipment the exhaust gas is read far away from the exhaust gas temperature with a pyrometer is not read in the combustion chamber so what i'm discussing here is the leading edge flame front temperature in the combustion chamber when that gets to about 2500 degrees and beyond the amount of oxides of nitrogen production increases dramatically so we have the pressure we heat and then we have what's called the exposure time or the what or i like to use the word is residence time or exposure time uh, the equation actually has residence in it i call it exposure and that's the length how fast the flame goes across the burn cycle in the cylinder so if you look at it this way let's say there's a pot of boiling water or pot of boiling water on the stove 
Alrighty? So the boiling water on the stove is that has the heat in it. Now, if you were to take your finger and stick it real quick in the water and pull it out, boop, boop, like that, you'd feel the heat, but you would not burn your skin. Because why? You did not have a long exposure time. Conversely, with the, the cold that we're having this winter in so many areas of the country, and especially up in Canada, is that if you went outside for one second, all right, you would not have frostbite. You stay outside for a minute, you could start to get frostbite. And they usually have a qualifier for that in the news that you know, don't have any unexposed skin for more than two minutes with the weather conditions. So that is the exposure time. So the pressure created by combustion, uh, the heat by combustion and the exposure time, how quickly that combustion event takes place, how quickly that flame goes across the bore, which is the, what's called the flame speed measured in meters per second, all right, will determine the oxides of nitrogen production. Now, if you alter any one of those three in that Zeldovich equation, you will have a reduction in oxides of nitrogen. And as I said before, that oxides of nitrogen are what create uh, attack the ozone level and create ground level smog. So EGR is the first line of defense in reducing oxides of nitrogen. The next thing we have on most tier four systems is what's called a DOC. It's a diesel oxidation catalyst, and that reduces carbon monoxide, which is partially burned fuel hydrocarbons which is unburned fuel and it has a some impact on particulate matter all right so has some impact but not that great an impact the next thing is what everybody is truly aware of is the diesel particulate filter and the diesel particulate filter basically is a trap it's like it's lots of a lots of people call it a soot trap and prior to tier 4 a lot of uh, if that was used it was called a soot trap and not a dpf diesel particulate filter and what that does is that that holds that soot that particulate matter inside a monolith it looks like a catalytic converter like a honeycomb it holds it into there in there and does not it traps it like a moth trap in the field all right or a mouse trap or what have you it traps it and uh, it it holds it there and does not allow the particulate matter to go out into the atmosphere. The whole problem being is that it can only hold so much particulate matter. And once it becomes full, it has to go through something called a regeneration cycle, which is basically the nemesis of anybody who has a tier four engine. And we're going to discuss those regeneration cycles in simplistic terms in a couple of minutes. And, it, and the regeneration cycle converts that particulate matter to ash. And ash is more finite and takes up less room right and then eventually that that ash needs to be removed from that diesel particulate filter and uh there's a special procedure to do that but on a on a properly running engine you should be able to go at least 500,000 miles on a road vehicle or 5,000 hours without having to remove the ash on a properly running engine uh from the from the diesel particulate filter alrighty and if you took care of it and everything was right then you could go even a little bit longer than that so keep in mind 
as we build into this technology on the show today is that how the state of tune and how well you take care of that engine is going to be is paramount in whether this system becomes what we call engineering invisible that you don't know it's there or becomes problematic a headache and with anything with machinery a headache costs you money it either costs you money from your checkbook or it costs you because even if the check that you're writing is not that large it costs you in lost productivity and as I always like to say which I'm sure you will all agree with is that farming agriculture is like an emergency vehicle you need to be able to get in there it's like a fire engine you need to be get that crop in the ground on uh, the ultimate date for planting and use no and any type of failure that you have to to uh to stop you from getting in the field be it planting be it spraying be it doing a uh, a foliar feeding or fungicide application is going to impact your yield so we have the the diesel particulate filter and then we have what we call scr which is selective catalytic reduction and that is causes a major reduction in the oxides of nitrogen uh, beyond what the EGR system could do. And what the selective catalytic, the SCR system uses is what is called diesel exhaust fluid, which basically is automotive grade urea and deionized water. And that's DEF is what it's called. And uh, some people in other industries call it just urea. Because believe it or not, a lot of power plants that make electricity run a diff, they run, I believe, 40% uh, urea based exhaust fluid. They don't call it diesel exhaust fluid, they call it exhaust fluid. All right. Uh, versus, I think it's 37.5% on the. Uh, on a uh, 32.5% on the diesel exhaust fluid and 67.5% deionized water on a on a farm vehicle so we have that technology and then the last technology that is part of the tier 4 system is high pressure common rail fuel injection and that is electronic almost like gasoline style injection in lieu of mechanical control of the fuel events and the the high pressure common rail has the ability to minimize all four emissions co hc co2 and oxides of nitrogen so to recap very quickly we have the this the commission control methods that we are using are low sulfur fuel updated engine oil exhaust gas recirculation diesel oxidation catalyst diesel particulate filter selective catalytic reduction which is married to diesel exhaust fluid and high pressure common rail injection now anything that happens inside the combustion chamber of the engine is what we would call an internal system makes sense right or an in-cylinder system and then anything that happens after the exhaust port of the cylinder the cylinder, the cylinder head is in what we would consider in the industry an after treatment. Now, when you look at a diesel engine, a tier four diesel engine, the the the, uh, the way the systems will be laid out, the after treatment systems, which is the the DOC, the DPF, and the SCR, are in that order. So the DOC, the diesel oxidation catalyst, is closest to the engine. 
Next will come the diesel particulate filter and the, and the component in the exhaust stream that's furthest away from the cylinder head is the supplemental catalytic reduction or the SCR. Alrighty, so that is how that is how it works. Now, the biggest bane that everyone has a complaint with is with the tier four system is during the regeneration process. Because other than that, the basic fact is that the, the systems are invisible. All right. So the regeneration process now there's a number of ways that the system could decide on whether it needs to clean or turn the particulate matter to ash in the diesel particulate filter, the DPF. It's alphabet soup. I know it's confusing. And that is either by looking at the pressure in and out of it to see that it's blocked, or they use an algorithm, and the algorithm says based upon this much running time at this much load and this much fuel that has been consumed that we need to do a cleaning. And the regeneration is basically a cleaning. It's converting it's converting the, the soot, the particulate matter, to ash. Now, for that for that system to regenerate, it needs to have an elevated heat. And there are three types of regenerations. There is a passive regeneration, there is an active regeneration, and a forced regeneration. With a passive regeneration, that you let's say you're uh, you're combining corn, so the, the 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 engine is really loaded. For a passive regeneration to take place. That means by the operating state of the engine that the diesel particulate filter, the DPF's temperature, is high enough that it's naturally converting soot to ash. It would be it would be akin to like mineralization of organic matter in the soil. That if you have enough heat, you have enough moisture, you will mineralize the organic matter in your soil and it will release nitrogen. So if you have a system or a system of a draw a operating state that is creating enough heat then that system is passively unbeknownst to you it it's mineralizing itself and it's cleaning itself and that is the ideal that is what you want all right and what has to happen is that 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 DPF has to reach a temperature of around 1000 degrees internally to convert the particulate matter to ash. So now let's say that your operating conditions are not not sufficient or proper to create a passive regeneration. Then they have what is called an active regeneration. And what the active regeneration is is the same thing. It's to convert the, the particulate matter to ash. And what it's basically going to do, it has a fuel injector it actually takes diesel fuel but it's not on the engine and but they call it a hc doser a hydrocarbon doser and that basically shoots fuel controlled by the ecu the engine controller and sprays fuel into the diesel oxidation catalyst to act like a furnace and that oxidation catalyst superheats, sends that heat into the next thing down the line, which is the diesel particulate filter, and does a burn-off. And, and the thing basically is, is that you usually need to have that engine operating state and that, pass, that uh, active regeneration takes about 45 minutes. So you could be 
we'll, we'll stick with the combine. Combining corn, and if the situation deems that it needs to burn off and the the natural heat from loading the engine is not enough, the system will evoke an active regeneration, and it'll actually shoot fuel into the diesel oxidation catalyst, confusing, I know, the DOC, to act like a furnace to send the heat, the heated exhaust, into the diesel particulate filter to come and burn it off and burn off the uh, particulate matter and make it ash. Now, if none of these things work and it's deemed by the controller, as I said, either through pressure or pressure sensors or by running events that it will do a forced regeneration and a forced regeneration will cause you to park the piece of equipment or the truck the computer will take over and it will be spend about 45 minutes the rpm will be very high it may instruct you to open the hood and it'll use a lot of fuel all right it'll use a lot of fuel so basically in essence and then after that it will go it'll it, it, the system will restore itself and clean itself. So that is the three regeneration systems. The goal basically is to have the engine run properly and have the intended use, or I should say its intended use, its use, uh, to be able to create a passive regeneration. So if you guys buy a diesel pickup truck, and I said this before, and you use it 5 miles to go to town, and 10 miles, 15 miles, and go back and forth to town, and you idle a lot, and you, 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 you loaf around the farm, you go check the cattle with it, that's never going to reach the operating temperature to create uh, a regen cycle. And it's eventually going to be forced to create, to have you park it, and create a, and, and, and institute a forced regen. And during those forced regen, you use a lot of fuel, you tie up the piece of equipment, the engine, you can't use it, you can't drive it, and it's problematic. And that's really what turns people off. If you have a guy who runs this 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 uh, diesel engine and it's and it does passive regenerations, uh, he never even knows it's regenerating because inherently it's like the mineralization of the of the organic matter. I use that example because I think it's the best one. The mineralization of the organic matter in the soil. You don't know what's going on. You just pull a you pull a tissue test on your plant and you say, man, you got enough in here. This thing I'm getting 400 bushels per acre. All right. So that basically is in essence the so the real sticking point uh and there are other sticking points let's say like the egr circuit i'm going to do a show just about egr and its problems and how to cure that but this is a basic overview show today of the tier four emission standards so the thing basically is that as we come to a close today let's put a common sense farmer right approach to this. We gave you a little bit of chemistry, Zeldovich equation, what have you, pressure, heat, exposure time. That's just FYI stuff so you can understand what's going on. But let's put a common sense approach to this. If you want to have the minimal amount of the minimal amount of uh, problems and, and potentially zero problems with your tier 4 system, all you need to do is follow this recipe. Alright? And it's very simplistic, and follow it, and you'll be fine. Okay, whenever possible, 
open the hood to let the heat out. You're done running the truck, you're done running a piece of equipment, let the heat out. Because there's a lot of electronics, a lot of sensors for all of this system to work, which we didn't cover, cover in 40 minutes, all right, on the show today. But if you let the heat out, because whenever you shut off an engine, it becomes heat-soaked. The, the the temperatures elevate and you cook everything. So if you let the heat out after you're done running it or anytime you're going to shut it off, let it idle for 30 or 40 seconds, open the hood, any piece of equipment, let the heat out. Over time, you will save those components, those wiring harnesses, everything, the gaskets in that engine, and you'll save everything and it'll be a much happier camper and it will not become anywhere near as problematic. The second thing basically on tier 4 is just use the recommended oil and coolant for that engine. If the manufacturer tells you use this grade of oil or this type of coolant, don't don't say, oh man, I got this other stuff in the corner and they want me to buy this stuff. No, it's because of the chemical composition of that coolant and that oil. If it's a CJ4 oil they want you to use, just use it. It's a low ash oil. All right, It's going to save you a lot of aggravation. It's going to save you. Just think of it as your sprayer. They're not having an antagonistic uh, tank mix partner put in it that you did a jaw test. They did the jaw test. Use the oil they tell you and use the coolant that they tell you and you're going to reduce a lot of a lot of your headaches. Treat your fuel with an additive featuring multiple modes of action. Because remember, this is emissions, right? And emissions start in the combustion chamber and a key component of this system is the fuel and being able to keep the carbon deposits down on the pintle of the common rail injector and in the combustion chamber all right so if you use a fuel that is additized properly has an increased cetane level has all of those benefits to it you will have a much cleaner burn right you'll have much more accurate fuel delivery and when you have that every emission out of the four that i discussed will drop just inherently it's like having a healthy crop having healthy soil right you go in your field you have healthy soil you have a lot of earthworms you have no earthworms you know you don't have healthy soil so by additizing that fuel it's about five cents a gallon to additize it it's probably one of the best things that you could do for a tier 4 engine for any engine additize that fuel don't be penny wise and dollar foolish additize your bulk fuel that engine will run cleaner and it'll have to rely because anything that's put in the exhaust stream of an engine to clean it up is a crutch if we can't clean it up in the combustion chamber we got to clean it up afterwards so the thing basically is that just like your plant if your plant can get all the nutrients out of out of the soil then you don't need to foliar feed it right and then that basically is it. So if you do those things, now keep in mind that eventually we're all going to own Tier 4. And and closing with today's show, which I just want to tell you was brought to you by Firestone Ag in totality because we did not do a special delivery segment. But by doing those things, you could have... I'm not going to say a problem-free tier 4 system because it is complicated, but by letting the sensors stay good, the wiring stay good, the hoses stay good, by additizing your fuel, having having uh, good combustion events, all right, uh, good combustion events, proper combustion events, doing those things, letting the heat out, using the proper oil and the proper coolant, you will be surprised how minimally this 
problematic the system will be. So listen, I want to thank Firestone. You know, we brought them up earlier today because they're the guys that put the rubber tires on the tractor. And, you know, and it's to my way of thinking, as I said, you know, early on in the podcast, I explored Firestone Ag before I took them on board. And they are a wonderful, wonderful company. And in my mind, they are the leading edge go-to guys for farm tires. So when it comes time to look at tires, look, if you're like me, you do your due diligence. You may not need tires for five years, but check out that Firestone brand. And if you come into Commodity Classic, please come by the Firestone booth and stop by and say hello. And look, I know I went through this quickly. I want to thank you for listening. But the take-home message is do those four or five things and worry about getting the most yield out of your crops and not rethinking tier four emissions. You don't need to be afraid of it. You just need to handle it differently. You have a blessed day, and I thank you so much for listening. And I will, God willing, talk to you next week. Bye-bye.